0: Welcome to the Kupinger Coal Analyst Chat. I'm your host. My name is Matthias Reinhardt. I'm an analyst and advisor at Kupinger Coal Analysts. My guest today is John Tolbert. He's lead analyst and works with Kupinger Coal Analysts from Seattle. Hi, John. Hello, Matthias. Great to have you today. Uh, You suggested a topic, and I've seen that in a blog post that you already written. Today, we want to talk about uh, NIST SP 800-207, or to be more precise about the NIST special publication about zero trust architecture. And as I've mentioned, you've written a blog post about that. You have provided already your impressions of this document. How are your impressions of this document?
1: You know, I think it's a, I think it's a really good start at zero trust architecture. You know, and I think the, IT and IT security community in general definitely welcomes this because we've been hearing about uh, zero trust for years. You know, the idea has been around for a while. Uh, It certainly has become kind of a big buzzword in cybersecurity industry. You can back, uh, you know, when we were at uh, conferences, you'd see lots of uh, vendors talking about zero trust and how their products uh, fit into the Zero Trust Networking model. But you know, what I like about, one of the things that I like about what NIST has done is to begin to try to put it all together. Uh, and it's more than just uh, Zero Trust Networking. it's It's gotta be an architecture. So this document that they they just published has a really good introduction to Zero Trust uh, if, uh, if you need that, but then it also has What I think is some pretty practical considerations about how to deploy it, and and I also especially like the sections on possible threats to that architecture, and they call out the need for uh, standardization about parts of the architecture as well. So I think those are, uh, you know, really good points. Uh, It's a document that I think everybody in the cybersecurity world should take a look at. At and and begin to think about
0: I, I fully agree because um as you said we have been talking about zero trust for a few years i did presentations i looked it up three years ago about that topic and um nevertheless you, you've mentioned standardization as it is not a a product something that you just can buy this is really a, a kind of concept that you need to implement and So what they are doing in the document is really, they combine some core security principles together to uh, get a bigger picture on zero trust architecture. And that includes the least um, privilege uh, principle and the principle of defense in depth. Of course, um, zero trust is something every vendor talks about, and it's really a marketing term. And by that, it also weakens a bit, and I think, There it helps to have a document by NIST that describes the fundamentals of this concept. And these fundamentals include the the foundation for cybersecurity and for, and that is close to my heart, of course, identity management architectures. So if you combine these two aspects, relying on strong identities and creating um, a new way of um, cybersecurity architecture, I think that is a great thing. So I fully agree with what you said.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I think um, one of the best things about zero trust architecture is that it does provide us a way with thinking, you know, how to conceptualize and how to actualize those two security principles, least privilege and defense and depth. It brings them together in a way that I think is much more palatable for security practitioners to think about it and, and then begin to work on it. And, and yeah, you know, the, the NIST publication addresses the fact that zero-trust architecture is more than just zero-trust networking. It has to bring in uh, identity and access management. I am um, Really, the, the core of uh, zero-trust architecture is authenticating and authorizing every session in your environment that involves users, devices, Uh, networks, applications, and even the data. So you have to protect things at the network layer, but you also have to bring in the concepts of identity uh, so that you know who is doing this. And and the who is bigger than just even the user. The who is also the device that um, a request originates from. And this is where we can get into topics like uh, access controls, attribute-based access controls, policy-based access controls, and fine-grained authorization. So, yeah, this is this is a perfect way to combine IAM with uh, cybersecurity and network security.
0: Right. So, I'm a bit hesitant to welcome the term zero trust even uh, for the NIST document because, as you just described, zero trust does not mean that you do not trust somebody. You do trust somebody. You have to trust strong identities as the foundation just as you uh, described i really um, do not like the term zero trust although i love the 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 concept that's behind that so that you can communicate safely and securely even in a potentially hostile environment so zero trust is by this much more than just a a a network modernization or uh, another type of vpn Um, You've mentioned that, and I've mentioned that already as well, network vendors have been promoting their solutions already for quite some time um, and branded it with the zero trust term. And of course, um, with the only thing that you can trust are the identities of all the individual types of identities that you mentioned um some iam vendors are already starting to to move into that market and to promote this with that term zero trust
1: yeah yeah definitely a good place for iam and cybersecurity to meet you know going back to what you were just saying about not liking the term zero trust i have to agree with that you know i find that it's kind of a misnomer because it it presupposes that there are no ways to trust anyone, but really what is implicitly trusted in any of these processes is the processes themselves. And they're probably uh, in many cases founded on things like PKI. So there are definitely ways to represent these very, very fundamental level of trust upon which you can build other trust relationships that then you go forward and authenticate, authorize, verify, in a continuous manner. So yeah, I'm not, can't really say that I like the term zero trust, but it certainly does get everyone's attention. And um, it it lets people focus on the least privileged defense in depth part.
0: Right. So but at the core, as you've mentioned, it's really connecting two disciplines that are usually looked at Individually, Uh, this is cybersecurity and IAM, although we at Kupinger Call consider IAM clearly to be a part of cybersecurity, as it is an infrastructure, and here it really can show its strengths. But nevertheless, uh, you've mentioned that the chapter about the deployment uh, of zero-trust architectures was especially interesting. What can you say about that, and what does NIST have to say about that?
1: Well, you know, there's a place where I I agree with the content uh, from NIST uh, entirely. You know, as part of zero-trust architecture, they say it's not something that you can solve with a single product or a service or even an entire platform. It's not something you can buy shrink-wrapped off the shelf or buy as a service today. I mean, you get bits and pieces of it, but I think... The reason for calling it architecture is that it is something that you have to sort of be on the lookout for modern products that allow you to do that, you know, per session level authentication authorization. If you're looking to get the security benefits, it's going to take a while to really do that because you may wind up having to update or even replace, in some cases, bits of your security architecture and put in things that facilitate the zero trust architectural approach. So yeah, I think most organizations, if they set out to do this today, will probably, you know, take a while to actually complete that. And it has to be a guiding objective, you know, throughout various RFP processes uh, for companies to be selecting uh, zero trust architectural components.
0: Right. You mentioned the security benefits. Can you describe the security benefits that come through such a zero-trust architecture?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that's pretty straightforward. Um, you know, I'd say it's evaluating every interaction. So, let's say a login or a session that involves users. Whatever devices they're coming from, whether that be mobile uh, mobile phones or desktops or laptops or even IoT devices, uh, the networks that they're on, the applications that they're using, and then the data that they're creating, accessing, or storing, which may or may not be on the device that they're using, or you know maybe under the control of an application. I think. Once we put together a holistic framework that allows us to authenticate and authorize uh, every interaction between those components, we can get to a state where we're reducing the risk of fraud, uh, data leakage, and even sabotage.
0: That sounds really great. And that also is is the reason why um, Zero Trust has this, this notion within the customers, within the vendors, that it really is a next generation security platform. But you've mentioned, um, and I've, I have not heard much about that topic before, uh, that the NIST document also talks about threats to zero trust architecture. So the threats to this next big thing uh, cybersecurity platform. What do these uh, threats look like? Can you describe some of those? Yeah, you know, again, that's that was something that I thought was really interesting
1: and, and pretty novel about the NIST document is that uh, it looked at these possible threats. Probably the most enlightening, I thought, was uh, think about the possibilities of some sort of denial of service or distributed denial of service against the PDP's policy decision points. So the 800-207 references the exact mole. Uh, architecture where you've got policy enforcement points that uh, refer decisions to policy decision points which then return a verdict to the policy enforcement points. So if let's say at some point in the future we've all moved to zero trust architecture and we've got policy enforcement points uh, making thousands or millions of calls a day to various policy decision points, I think what the NIST document is saying, think about what happens when th- those PDPs get overloaded? That may be a possible vector of attack. One of the other things they they bring up is the weaknesses in in APIs. I mean, most of this is predicated upon the use of APIs. I mean, we've been talking about uh, APIs and microservices for uh, a couple of years here. But again, you know, API security is is a paramount concern even outside of the realm of zero trust architecture, you know, eight hundred two hundred seven also talks about uh, using uh, non-person entities within zero trust architectural administration. And by this, they're they're talking about machine language detection models. I think. I mean, it's it's a bit vague, but where, what I read into this was that. You know, many security tools today, including, you know, very forward-thinking, forward-looking access control products, will use uh, machine language uh, algorithms to help speed up the process of deciding who should get access and who shouldn't. Uh, We know that ML detection models and algorithms like that can be manipulated or gamed uh, to, to force things like false positives or false negatives. And and those things, those results then could can, can be exploited by malicious actors. Now these sound like very sophisticated kind of attacks and I think that they are, uh, but we, we know in some cases in the cybersecurity wor- world that uh, these kinds of things have happened before where bad actors have intentionally uh, gamed uh, machine learning algorithms to obtain the result that they want. Uh, so it, it is sophisticated, but I think this is an area that uh, definitely needs to be explored by cybersecurity and identity vendors. Take that into consideration when doing your threat modeling and, and build products accordingly.
0: Yeah, I, I also fully agree when it's what you mentioned first, though, this, this single point of failure, with you have one policy decision points or only a few policy decision points. And I think the same is also true when we are talking about identity at that part. Both the PDP and the IAM system need to be made available in a highly scalable manner, in a highly uh, stable manner and and resilient manner so that all these many identities um, can be handled adequately on the IAM side and that the requests for for an access decision um, can be handled by the PDP at the required volume. You've mentioned standardization before. I fully agree, and I'm a great fan of standards, knowing that there are also many uh, failed standards around. But I think standardization makes perfect sense for creating a heterogeneous uh, architecture like Zero Trust But what specific areas does NIST uh, suppose that standardization should take place?
1: You know, one of the things they call out is, you know, the proprietary nature of APIs. Again, you know, everybody's kind of moving to an API-first strategy, which we believe is a good thing as long as those APIs are secured. Uh, But at the same time, everybody having a slightly different API can be problematic. It makes it a little bit harder for solution providers and then the companies or organizations that operate all these different products with APIs to be able to integrate them. Uh, so having open APIs that are also secured uh, and standardized, I think are really important. I mean, you know, REST APIs have been around for a long time. That's pretty straightforward. And you know there are lots of products out there and services that can help you secure uh, REST APIs. But, you know, there are some products that use things like RPC and SOAP and, you know, you may need a different set of security principles, models, and tools to deal with that. Uh, And now we also have web hooks, uh, web sockets, and even W3C's new or newer web often, which came by way of FIDO. Those things are out there to be used and to promote a more open and interoperable uh, security architecture. But again, I think uh, standardization uh, wherever possible uh, is probably a good thing. And there are major standards development organizations that that are working on bits and pieces of this today. And we think that this is a good thing. And it probably has a, a role to play in the furtherance of even zero trust architecture.
0: And again, I, I fully agree, I think, with um, many of the APIs around also being, being proprietary, being something where you cannot have a look at what's behind the API call. So uh, there might be issues with that API implementation and you just cannot see it because it's closed source. I think um, when there are standards around for implementing and creating and designing an architecture for Zero Trust, that might also lead to readily available reference implementations, hopefully even as open source, so that there is a better way to look into these solutions and to to verify what's going on even behind the front door of an API call. Okay, thank you very much, John, for, for giving that insight into that just really recently published document. Um, Of course, you've mentioned the blog post, and I highly recommend our audience to read it because it goes into more detail than we could cover here in this short podcast episode. When organizations are looking into going zero trust for some of their use cases, for some of their network segments, I know we have research in place. What does that cover? Uh, well, we we
1: help with various kinds of tools choice, both around cybersecurity and identity management, and we are you know very familiar with the underlying principles under zero trust, like least privilege, and defense in depth. We have research covering uh, these, so we've got comparative reports, our leadership compasses, and then many different executive view reports on. Uh, individual products out there that uh, that could be useful for companies that are looking to do uh, tools choice uh, replacements or defining zero trust as a criteria for uh, replacing a product.
0: Right. And I would like to add that with the um, identity fabric concept that we use for um, analyzing and updating and creating uh, identity and access architectures. Um, That would be one side of the medal when it comes to combining IAM and cybersecurity. And our colleague, Christopher, just uh, recently put out uh, together with all our colleagues, the concept for a cybersecurity fabric, and that would be the other side of the medal. So if any organization is interested in doing that step and going that step, Uh, please let us know, please get in touch, find some documentation, find some research, and maybe um, talk to, we hope, the experts that we are um, and that we can support you in that. Thanks again, John, for joining me today. Any final thoughts you want to add?
1: No, just uh, this is a good document from NIST. Uh, Thanks for uh, them producing it. And uh, we look forward to discussing not only zero trust architecture, but cybersecurity. And I am in general with uh, anyone who's interested. So thanks again for having me and uh, have a good day.
0: Thank you for being here and looking forward to having you back soon. Bye-bye.